0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz
1: every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
0: It's in the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. This week on Live in the Bream, we are honored to have somebody you know and love very well. She is former White House press secretary, co-host of Outnumbered, and author of the bestseller for such a time as this, Kaylee McEnany. Welcome back to Live in the Bream. Great to have you. Hey, Shannon. Great to be back. Thanks. Listen, we are getting ready to enter what is considered the holiest week of the year for those who... Um, express and adhere to the Christian faith, just want to ask you what it means to you and and what you kind of think, what your thoughts are through this part of the year.
1: You know, it's it's an interesting kind of emotional roller coaster you go through because obviously Good Friday is so somber. Uh, you've just come from Palm Sunday, of course, Jesus coming and greatly celebrated as he came into the city, um, but then all of a sudden Good Friday happens, and within you know mere days, uh, Jesus is there on a cross, being brutally beaten as if he were a criminal. Um, but the the emotions you go through is with knowing that on the other side is the beauty of Easter Sunday and the resurrection and the sense of renewal and hope and optimism that no matter how bad things in the world get, obviously, we're looking at a war in Ukraine right now and a human tragedy and war crimes, uh, that Christ is in control, that he is in control. And no matter um, the sins of this world, the evils of this world, the atrocities of this world, uh, there is a Christ, a God, Jesus Christ, who conquered it all on the cross. And that glorious Easter Sunday is, is the day that we all look forward to, um, no matter the difficulties we're going through in this life.
0: Yeah. It is such a hopeful day to me. I mean, I remember as a kid, obviously we were always in church, but I remember getting the Easter basket and we didn't have much. So it might be the one time a year I would get a new dress and was super excited about it. But now as an adult, it means infinitely more to me because I understand the hope that it brings, the covering of every one of my bad decisions and sins and and faults in my life, Um, and just a beautiful picture of complete redemption and hope in a world that, as you said, is so fallen and so painful and full of evil. Um, I love Easter. I think it's it's just one of my favorite times of the whole year. Listen, I'm not going to lie. I love me some Christmas, but yes. you know, you'd have Christmas to get to Easter, but they are both um, beautiful pictures, um, you know, for us, not only to celebrate as the world does, but more deeply for the spiritual hope that comes from that. Um, I want to ask you because the title of your book, which everyone I meet who's read this book loves it. I read it. Fantastic. Um the title is for such a time as this which comes from the story
1: of Esther. Do you specifically relate to her or tell me about deciding on that title? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I believe God often sends messages um, through unlikely sources, sometimes in duplication, where uh, two different people tell you the exact same thing. And it's like, oh, my gosh, God moment, divine moment. This was something meant for me to hear. And I I was very apprehensive about taking on this new, obviously, highly scrutinized role, um, one that would bring with it a lot of challenges. And as I was riding up the Northeast Corridor on the way to my first day in the office in the West Wing, my dad said to me, me, Kaylee, maybe you were made for such a time as this, which is a reference, of course, as you noted, to Esther. Four fourteen, And a few weeks later, it was Van Jones who, as far uh, to the other side (laughs) of the political aisle as he could get from my father, but nevertheless, a great Christian man said to me um, in a text message, maybe you were made for such a time as this. And it it caused me to explore the story of Esther. Esther, of course, saved the Jewish people. She did something far more consequential than I will ever (laughs) do. Most of us will ever do. But I think the message that that was sent to me um, through Van Jones and my father, Mike McEnany, is the message meant for all of us to hear that no matter where you are, your life circumstance, whatever you think of the job you're doing or your family position, God can use you in infinite and in remarkable ways uh, to change the lives of others. So that that's where it came from. And it, I've drawn a lot of inspiration for from it. And I think um, others will too. It's meant for all of us.
0: Yeah. I love her story for so, so many reasons. And as you said, I mean, she basically changed the course of history because God put her exactly where she needed to be at that moment. And what I love too, and and she's in both uh, uh, my books, Women of the Bible Speak and the new one I have out, Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak. And I include her in this new one because we do look at relationships that are not necessarily the traditional mother-daughter relationship, but other um, relationships that involve a daughter or a mother. And of course, she was taken in by Mordecai, her relative, after her parents were killed, but they had very much that father-daughter relationship. Um, and he was very blunt with her when when this threat to the Jewish people came about. And she sort of hesitated when he asked her to go to the king because showing up unbidden literally could have been a death sentence for her. Um, he said to her, don't think you know, that God won't accomplish this in another way if you don't step up here or that you and your family are not also going to be under threat. And then he has that line where he says, you know, who knows if you aren't placed in the kingdom for such a time as this. And Just such an inspiring story um, as I think about her on so many different levels. Um, The focus of the new book is motherhood and daughterhood. So I want to ask you how Faith has shaped your relationship as a young Hmong, a a beautiful daughter, and how it kind of um, colors how you parent her and what you want her to learn about the world.
1: Oh, it shapes everything you do. Um, You know, my mom was um, instrumental in my life and my father too, and giving me a worldview. And my dad always used the term worldview growing up. And I used to be like, worldview, why do you always say this word? (laughs) And then I left and I went off to college where my worldview was challenged. And I, I realized exactly what he meant. You know, for me, I'm a Christian. I grew up in the pews of my Southern Baptist church. I went to an all girls Catholic school and the values of faith and family were really ingrained within me from a young age. And now I look back. And of course, I've, i everyone has sinned in life. I certainly have, um, but I've avoided a ton of pitfalls that I think um, are, are really are, gl- are glistening in this younger generation, things on social media that lead to depression and unfortunately suicide we've seen among our youth. And, you know, I was able to avoid some of those trappings because of, faith and knowing that there's something so much impor- more important than the social media trappings of this world. So when I look at my daughter, I try to do exactly as my parents did. And, you know, every night it's, it's funny. I read her a devotional, a Jesus calling kids devotional. And sometimes in at least one circumstance, it's exactly mirro- mirrored my adult Jesus calling. Another time I knew uh. God was sending me a message. Um, but we every night get on our knees and pray. We have the same prayer that we say over and over again. Um, and she now knows the words and repeats them. And it's just such so beautiful to see See, the faith tradition my parents gave to me kind of coming out of my own daughter as at the young age of two years old. And I know that's the key As the world gets more toxic um, and more pressures for this upcoming generation. She will have this steadfast anchor that I was blessed to be given at a young age.
0: Mm-hmm. And Jesus calling is such an amazing book for anybody who's looking for devotional that could just be a part of your daily life. I find it to be, um, just so insightful and it's not super fancy. Doesn't require hours of your day, um, but just full of good truth and scripture. And I love that there are kids versions, uh, too. That's fantastic. Um, are there women or mothers in the Bible that you take lessons from, or that you find inspiration in?
1: Yes, you know, I think Jacobed and Miriam, and, you know, I was able to explore their story in much more depth in your book, Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, and I just was um, really blown away, because you kind of gloss over the story of Moses, and I, I remember watching the, the cartoon version when I was a young child, and I loved it, um, and was just drawn to this idea of Moses, and you see him floating down the, the Nile, and then coming forward and leading the Jewish people out of um, out of Egypt, um, but you, you kind of glossed over the fact of how that happened. And it's because of your book, Shannon, that I really dug into not the Moses part, which we all know, but the part about Jacobed his mother, and having the courage to, um, in some ways, you know, keep your child from harm's way because, you know, she he'd be killed by Pharaoh, but at the same time, put him in harm's way, physically placing your newborn at a few months old into a river down the Nile. Uh, just the faith that you must have in, in God is remarkable. So I think I draw mm-hmm. a lot of inspiration from her. Of course, Mary. Mary, I draw inspiration from um, as, as probably the greatest female character in the entire Bible. But um Jacobet is one that of late um I have certainly delved into.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, to remind people, um, when we meet her, what her situation is, that the Hebrew people are being completely oppressed by Pharaoh, by the Egyptians. They're essentially in slavery. And so Jacobet is a slave woman, and the Hebrew people are they're growing, they're being blessed and and exponentially um. You know, in their numbers, uh, filling the land and Pharaoh was so threatened by that he does what you mentioned there that these babies were under threat. They were the Hebrew women were told, if you have a little boy, he's got to be thrown into the Nile and killed. I cannot imagine as a mother being told that's what was going to happen or knowing you're pregnant and, and hopeful, but fearful at the same time about what is going to happen to this child. And I love that there's a little nugget in there, um, in the Bible where the Hebrew women keep having the babies and the, the midwives are called in, like, what is happening? And they're like, these women are just hardy. They have the babies so quickly before <laughs> we can get there. I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of white lie that I think God would be totally fine with, um, <laughs> protecting his people, um, you know, but so Jochebed makes this decision in a culture at a time where she probably didn't have much freedom to make any decisions and says, you know, when she has little Moses, I'm going to save this baby. I'm going to break the law and I'm not throwing him into the Nile. But as you said, um, that um, paradox of actually putting him into the Nile where he was supposed to go to die to be the place where he finds life. And it's his sister, Mariam, who is watching over him as he's floating down and is the one brave enough to step up when Pharaoh's daughter hears this crying baby and has the Bible tells us has compassion on him. And Miriam just happens to be there to say, like, "Um, hey, I can help you with this baby. And Pharaoh wants to raise, or Pharaoh's daughter wants to raise him as her own. Um, but Miriam says, "If you need a Hebrew woman to nurse him in the meantime, I know somebody." And so, just just God's perfect timing through so many things. But seeing this this bravery and this um, trust and faith that Jochebed as the mother and Miriam as the daughter had there um, are really world changing, life changing those decisions. Um, you mentioned Mary too, and I think. Sometimes we think about her so much in the context of the Christmas story, which is clearly important that she's been chosen for this divine appointment. God chose her and esteemed her. She was esteemed among women. And she was totally faithful to say, "I'm your servant. You know, let it be as you've said." And I can't rem- imagine being this young teenage girl facing this situation that you're thinking, no one's going to believe me. I'm going to have this pregnancy." Um, I, I imagine the faith um, that she must have had to walk into that situation.
1: Bye. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's an remarkable. I mean, and to think she's newly engaged. Um, just comparing the feelings you have as a young modern day woman. I remember when I got newly engaged. I mean, you're it's perhaps one of the most exciting t- times of your life. I mean, it is. And to think that you know she is having to tell her newly um, almost betrothed husband, you know, that she is pregnant and having the faith that God would lead him to the right place, which in fact he did, coming to him in a dream, um, and, and knowing that she could be the rejected. From society, being pregnant out of wedlock. There was so much risk entailed. Um, but nevertheless, she trusted. And look at what happened. And isn't that a steady theme that we see from Esther having the courage to stand up to authority to her husband, the king, um, and save the Jewish people. And then you mentioned Miriam having the courage to speak to to Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, And then Mary having the courage to say, I I don't care if I'm shunned by the community, but nevertheless, I'm having this child. And in each of those three instances, those were women who you noted changed the course of history. Um, Without those women, um, you don't get to the Christ child. And that's one of the things I love about your book, Shannon, is women of the Bible speak and daughters, mothers and daughters of the Bible speak is just the way women in the Bible are used in a way women are marginalized in society at this point in history, but yet God lifts them up and gives women a voice in a place of leadership and to the place of women being the first to see that Jesus had risen. Um, It it just goes to show uh, he was ahead of the game long before society Mm -hmm. was
0: absolutely um, I love that about Jesus and that in his ministry there were women who were involved we have the famous story of Mary and Martha the sisters where um, you know one is sitting at his feet and one is running around and trying to serve and make sure everybody has food and water and you know Jesus says um, you know Mary's chosen the better thing she is learning at my feet which in those days that wouldn't have been something commonly that a woman would have been doing learning at the feet of an esteemed rabbi um, you know and certainly not Following him around, being part of his ministry, helping to support that, and I love that he kind of broke all the conventions of the time by going to people who were, um, you know, outcasts in society, allowing these women to be part of what he was doing, um, but going to women like the the woman caught in adultery, the Samaritan woman, um, and and those who had been cast aside as you know undesirable. And going to them and, and redeeming them saying like, I don't condemn you. I mean, both of those cases, I think about the woman caught in adultery and the Samaritan woman, um, you know, they would have been completely looked down on as people that know esteemed I should even be in their company, much less having a conversation with them or telling them, I'm here to redeem you and not condemn you. Um, he definitely broke the mold and changed the rules when it came to, as you said, how society viewed women at that point in time.
1: Yes. And how Christ uses imperfection to achieve Mm -hmm. his goal. Uh, Thank goodness. Yes. Yes. Thank goodness. (laughs) Um, You know, sometimes I I hear all the time from people, they feel like they have to be perfect or they're not good enough, or Christ can't use them because of X, Y, or Z reason. And it just isn't the case. I mean, you mentioned women with such imperfection that he uses to be the great leaders that we as women look up to in, in the Bible and in the Christ story, but men as well. I mean, Moses killed a man, King David killed a man. I mean, this is the story of imperfection of people who did, you know, Paul, who was formerly Saul, who, who killed Christians. These are the greatest spiritual leaders um, in in history. And yet they had such uh, what society would look at as um, grave, grave, grave sins. So when people say to me, God can't use me because of X, Y, or Z that I've done, um, the whole history of, of the Bible is him using people to achieve great ends despite um, troubling beginnings. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment.
0: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Exactly. And I'm so glad you brought up that point because in the new book, Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, I do look at flawed families because you know a lot of the a lot of the families in the Bible are flawed. And I love that because like we always say, if, if God only used people who are already in good shape and perfect, Jesus would be the only character, the only person walking through the Bible. But I'm glad he does use us in our messes and in our sin and in our wayward decisions that we make. He can redeem it if we come to him. And we see that all through these families too, because as you mentioned, I mean, I talk about David and Bathsheba in this book and Bathsheba being the mother of King Solomon. Um, And the fact that the way her story starts out is not good. And what I was always kind of led to believe is that she was the aggressor or that she was the one doing something wrong, but scripture doesn't tell us that it does tell us that David who should have been off at battle with his men was instead walking around the rooftop of the palace and spotted her um, doing her ritual bathing. So, You know, the fact that their story went got so complicated and was filled with so many terrible decisions by David, as you said, to have her husband killed, to try to deceive everyone. But then the fact that he has this enormous recognition after confronted of his horrific sin and spends all of Psalm 51 pouring out his heart and his soul. Um, admitting everything he's done wrong and begging God to forgive him of his sin and to restore his, um, you know, his fellowship with God and not to leave him. Um, And God, listen, used David in so many different ways. Um, But Bathsheba too, I I really learned a lot about her in studying for this book and and reminding me that she was the mother of King Solomon, who was so wise, described as the most wise person um, when God asked him, what do you want? He didn't ask for palaces and, and money and fame and all those things, um, which some of the kings of Israel pursued. Um, he asked for wisdom and discernment. And God said, because of that, I'm going to give you that plus all the stuff you didn't ask for. So we see Bathsheba's relationship with him as she helps him ascend to the throne and how she is a key player in all of that. But she was the mom of this guy raised as um, or or entitled as the the wisest man to ever live. So she must have gotten something bright as a mom, beyond the story we just know about her in the beginning.
1: Yeah, exactly. She must have gotten something right. And, you know, that's what's so interesting, um, you know, about the Bible, right, is that, you know, I I also thought that Bathsheba was the one who was, you know, the aggressor, or the one tempting him. And it's, there's such nuance that you point out in the language there. And, you know, there, there are things that every time you read scripture, just more things pop out to you. Like, um, as I was reading your book, um, you know, when you're talking about Jacob and Moses, it says that Jacob saw that he was a fine child, mm-hmm. Exodus two two, And, you know, I would just read that and, and kind of gloss over it and be like, okay, you know, this was a great child. You know, it's her, another, you know, a you know, mother doting over her child, but there's so much more, as you point out, like Saul, just that word, um, it, it means that she saw something deeper, perhaps a prophetic vision for what her child would do one day, maybe, um, and that fine child, that word when parsed out means not ordinary, not just a child that you love, but someone maybe meant to do something greater, and it's interesting that nuance, because these Bible stories can take on a life of their own, and when you actually read the scripture, study the word origin, um, it's just entirely different, um, as you point. Out with Bathsheba.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there is so much that we can learn um, in these relationships. And, and many that I cover in the book, too, are about women um, finding spiritual motherhood and daughterhood with each other and encouraging and mentoring each other. So I think we have a lot of good examples. And the ones that aren't the great examples, we also learn from them, too, and see that God is willing to use all of it. So, Kaylee, thank you for visiting with us on Live in the Breen this week. It's always great to chat with you. And happy
1: Easter. Thank you, Shannon. And congratulations on the book. I'm excited to read the whole thing.